coming up on the Not Almost There podcast. Talk to me about the, like why barefoot running. What What is barefoot running when someone says that? I mean, the obvious answer to me, or the obvious thing I think of is like running with without without shoes. But is is that is that it? Barefoot running is is kind of a catch-all term for uh, minimalist running. Uh, most of us, I, I do know, I do know a guy in California who runs barefoot, barefoot all the time, and I, I've met, you know, and I've interviewed a guy on my podcast who uh, started out barefoot, and he's he's pretty much runs barefoot all the time, even on trails. Uh, the trails I run on, I you know, again, I can't run fully barefoot. Um, so I started out with a uh, four millimeter thick piece of rubber that was a, a DIY Hirachi sandal kit and uh, and basically paracord tied onto your feet. Uh, and so you feel, you, you still feel all the, you know, everything that's, that's there on the trail. Um, and if you land on a big rock, it, it still hurts. But, uh, but that was my start. And so... Uh, so yeah, it's it's called barefoot running, but usually those of us who are doing it are doing it in sandals. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Anonymous Third Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chura. I cannot believe it is almost the end of 2021. What an incredible year. And we're going to finish the year strong together. So don't miss out on new episodes as they drop. Click that plus button or follow along on your favorite podcast platform. Today I have a guest that truly has a no-limit mindset, Eric Dieter. Eric runs ultramarathons as a mindset coach and is the host of his own podcast, aptly titled The Ultramarathon Mindset. To me, the most important quality for a guest to have on my show is authenticity. They can't just talk the talk, but they have to actually walk the walk, and that is my new friend, Eric. Today's episode, we dive into how he got into ultramarathons because let's face it, it takes a unique individual that decides they're going to run a 100-mile race. But that's exactly what makes him an incredible mindset coach and led him to explore different types of running philosophies. If you are a runner, you have to listen to this episode because he talks about two different running techniques that are game changers and that can take you to the next level of your own running. And my favorite part of the conversation with Eric is an incredible mindset tip he shared when I asked him about mentally preparing for a 100-mile race. The mindset share is not only good for race training, but something you need to incorporate in your everyday life and personal goals as well. Oh, and before we get to that, my event refuel sold out in person. So thankful. Uh, we ha- we're going to have over 700 plus people in person. I think we sold actually like 850, 900 tickets, knowing we'll have some drop off, but it's going to be amazing. You can still join virtually. It'll be Wednesday, December 15th. So head to anonymousthere.com forward slash refuel. It'll redirect you to my company's website, Dealer Inspire, and get your virtual ticket today. I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity to join in a truly life-changing experience with Jocko Wilnick, Angela Emanuel Davis, Jim Quick, Amy Purdy, and my good friend, Cal Fussman. Now, get on your shoes, head outside, inhale a deep breath, and take your first steps toward your goals today with my friend, Eric Dieter. Welcome, Eric, to the Not Almost There podcast. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. I appreciate the invitation. I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, it's so great to be with you today. Um, we were just talking about life and how you have to wear different hats and constantly are running around, um, uh, whether that be uh, dealing with work and then family stuff and then other obligations that you have. And one of the things that I know you're passionate about is mindsets and being, uh, and you're actually a mindset coach. Uh, and, and I want to get into that today, but 
what was really intriguing when when I first got to know you is your passion for ultra running and uh, and how how you run typically is you you actually run barefoot so those two things are uh, a bit different but I think I think we could talk about them together as well but how did you first get involved in ultra running I got involved in ultra running um, I I've had done a, a lot of uh, inner work, some some things that I had done in 2017 to kind of get past some limiting beliefs. As a result, I ended up losing, uh, getting about 30 pounds you know, lower in my weight. Uh, I got to, to where I really wanted to be. And uh, in September, a friend of mine I saw on Facebook, he completed a 50-mile trail race. And he'd he tried several times during the year and had not made it for a couple of, for several reasons, but he finally made his goal of running this 50 mile race. And I looked at his pictures and I said to myself, that kind of looks like that, that kind of looks like that could be fun. And then I said, I've lost enough weight. I bet I could run again. And I'd run in my late twenties and, uh, but I hadn't run for about 30 years. So, uh, went out on the trail. I, and the thing is, I, I just told everyone else, I'm, I'm going to start running on trails. What I said to myself was, next year, I'm running that 50-mile trail race that my friend finished. That's amazing. So before we get too far, what were those limiting beliefs that you had? Oh, my goodness. There, there were several. The, the one that really kind of you know, relates to my running was, uh, was a belief that I was not supposed to be successful. I was not supposed to be a winner. Um, and it, it was something that had been with me all of my life. In high school, I defended the next to the last position on the tennis team, never got to really play in a match because I could play most people to a tie, but I could never win. Came again when I was in my 20s. A friend of mine, we, we, we were good friends. Our families got together every weekend. He had a ping pong table. We played multiple games of ping pong. I could stay with him for the whole game. And usually get to a tie and then lose. Um, and so it, it was, I, I then later kind of started learning about the subconscious and realized that this was a limiting belief that was, that was really kind of holding me back. And I could see its effects in my life and my business and, uh, you know, in, in other areas. And, and it just, it was, it was tied into my upbringing in the church and, uh, the, the whole thing of not being prideful, you know, not putting yourself, not putting yourself ahead of others. Uh, then, and it was just a story. It was just, it was not, it was not true, but it was something that I, that was a belief that I couldn't shake. Uh, and so that was, that was the, the thing that was really, really the thing that I was trying to address. Do you think that's why you chose ultra running? Cause it's something that you're really competing against yourself with versus it being such a competitive sport, like, like tennis or golf or whatever else? The beliefs, I, I, I was in a, uh, was in a church group and it, they had a competition and, uh, and I got to a point in that competition, it was archery. And, uh, there were four of us who were tied and this whole thought process came cascading down on me. He said, you've been here before, you know, you're tied, you're going to blow it. You're going to, and those were the things that were running through my head, but I'd done enough work, you know, with mindset to kind of counter that, calm myself down and say, no, I've got this. I've got, and, uh, and I won't, I, I, I had to make the shot and I made it and, and won. So it's, it was not so much that, uh, that I was avoiding competitive situations, um, 
to choose an alternative. It was just that was just what presented itself. No, that that makes sense. And how did you get started then? Like, so you see this this photo, you get inspired. I'm sure, many people or many people do. I get inspired often by other photographs or um, successes people have. But it's often one thing to get inspired by them and the next thing to take those first steps. So how did you go about doing that? One of the things that's important for me is, as a mindset coach, and it's a place that I think any any kind of transformation has to start is making a decision. Um, you know, there are, there are things that I, you know, I've kind of looked at and says, oh, it would be nice to do that. I would like to do this. I'd like to learn, for example, juggling. I, I, that was something I kind of dabbled with several years ago. And, I, and there's a lot of benefits to learning that, but I've never pushed myself through to, to really learn it. Um, so you know, when I said, I'm, you know, the kind of the difference was, I didn't say I want to run that race. I said, I'm going to run that race. And for me, that was that was a, a kind of line in the sand decision. Um, and so, you know, the next day I was out, I you know got dug up a pair of shoes and went out. There's some mountain bike trails near us, and I went out and ran my first mile on the trail. Got it. And then from there, you just did you like sign up for a 5K or how did you progress through that? I kept I kept running, kept training. Of, of course, I mean if. For anybody who's begun or started running, there's always that time period, you know, for several weeks where your body feels like you're going to die every time you go out there. Yeah. And, I, and I, <laughs> I knew I had to get through that that period. And so, you know, I got to where I could run, you know, three miles at a time. And then I found a uh, that on the same trails I was running that there was a, a Thursday trail running group that met every Thursday night, went out and ran trails, and then we'd, they'd hang around and drink beer afterwards. So I started running with those guys. And in that group, there, there are, you know, guys who run 100 miles, 50 miles, you know, there's all levels. But, but there are people there who think, you know, it's normal to, for anybody to be able to run, you know, 50 or 100 miles. So that was, that was a thing that kind of helped. My first real, real race was a 50K, which was just a few, uh, a few weeks before the 50-mile race that I'd signed up for. A few weeks before? Uh, six weeks. Wow. So you did a 30-mile race, 31-ish mile race, right before a 50-mile race. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but and I, how was that experience? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, it was, a, it was three loops of 10 miles. Okay. And, uh, and you know, people think Kansas is flat. Uh, the place in Kansas where I live is not flat. There's about... Uh, 1700 feet of elevation gain in every loop and so uh, it was it's a, it was a fairly tough tough course and i was at about 14 miles and uh and of course I, I would, that was in training for it 14 15 miles was kind of about what my training runs were for that race and uh i, I remember start the self-talk starts coming it's like you can't do this you, it's just this is too hard it's too much and uh, I got close to the the last you know the the, la- the last part of that twenty mile loop, and uh, I, I was I was going to quit. I was like, you know, twenty miles, you know, that's that's a good that's good. I'm I'm fine with that. And uh, a lady from my running group that I, mean, I was I was fairly new, so we didn't know her all that well. About a quarter mile from the start finish, she came and she said, "She says you have eight minutes 
to start for your last loop or you'll get or you'll get disqualified. I told her, I can't do it. I, I'm I'm you know, I'm too tired. She said, Oh, come sit down at the aid station. We'll 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 talk about it. They dumped ice water on me, they filled my pack, fed me watermelon, fed me, you know, whatever they could whatever they could think of to hand me. And uh, I stood up and I said, I feel better. And I left the aid station with two minutes to spare to start my final loop of, of that 10 miles. And, and I ran stronger that, that third loop than I did, uh, that I did the, uh, the second loop. So, uh, so I, I finished. I was, I was DFL, and the people were sweep, sweeping the course, you know, 100 yards behind me, but I, <laughs> I finished it. That's that's amazing. So do you, do you look back at that as a pivotal moment, like like having those aid station people take care of you in that way? Because there's many that many races may not have those folks, or if they do, then maybe they don't have that care like the ones you met. Do you look back at that most, moment? Most uh, most ultra marathon races that I you know trail races, the trail running community is is very encouraging and. Uh, um, I had, I had to drop uh, the, I was running a hundred mile race, uh, this, this year. And, uh, the heat was brutal out of 47 who started only 11 finished. And I was, I was one who it just, it was so hot. I couldn't, couldn't continue. And at the aid station, I, I came in and I said, I'm done. And they said, oh, sit down and think about it. You know, you, you may not be done. You may feel better in a little bit. So that I, that seems to be fairly common uh, when people come in and say they're ready to quit. The aid station workers try to balance that physical, you know, w- whether it's something physical that you know, is, you're really at risk to go on uh, versus just a mental thing of like, well, you can recover and keep going. So, And what's your pace typically when you're running these longer? I am at, I am at back of the pack uh, person. So my, you know, my goal is to finish before the cutoff. Um, and so usually, you know, 50 miles, hundred miles, I'm trying to maintain 17, 18 minute pace. Uh, depends on the terrain. There's a huge health component to this, but you do it more for, to overcome the, the mental ad- adversity of accomplishing something this large and how you could break down. And we'll talk about this in a second, how you break down the race to get through it, but do you do it more for those reasons, or I guess what is your why? When I finished the fifty-mile race, I, a friend of mine was doing the hundred-mile version, and I slept uh, in the campground, and I saw him at his last, you know, about his last ten miles, and I looked at his face, and I said, "Whatever he's experiencing and going through right now, I didn't, I didn't touch that at fifty miles," and so I, I decided. I'm going to run 100 next year. And so the day before my 100-mile race, my, my wife was asking me, why are you doing this? And I hadn't thought of it before, but I just knew that there was something inside of me that was I, I, needed, I, I needed to do this. And mm-hmm. I've, I've told her, I finally came up with, I need to find out if I have what it takes to finish that race. And, and for me, that's for me the why. Is I, each, each time I go out on a trail, there's things that are going to come up. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be, you know, it's going to hurt, you know. But, uh, but yeah, the, it's for me is can I, can I do this distance? Got it. You know, that makes, uh, that makes sense. So, so you're running, you have, you, let's, let's take the second race you did, the 50-mile race. How do you, how do you look at that race? How do you approach it? 
because it seems so daunting to run to have 50 miles in front of you. I know this from the Spartan race I just did, which was 30 some miles in the mountains with a ton of obstacles. And I know how I approached it, but I'm curious how you you looked at yours. I look at uh, when I'm out there running. I look at what do I need. What do I need to do to get to the next aid station? And the aid stations are about six miles apart, five, anywhere between five or six miles apart. So mentally, what I'm what I'm concentrating on is getting to the next aid station. Uh, and if you know, there's oftentimes a time limit, and so I'm kind of also monitoring. Oh, I need to get there by a such certain amount, certain time. But, but yeah, and then when I get to that aid station, I kind of focus on, well, I've got six miles to go to the next aid station. And so that keeps it mentally manageable. Um, and also that, that reflects in your physical, your physical performance as well. Because um, if you start thinking, if you're, at, if you're at 25 miles and your mind says, oh, you're only halfway and you're shot, it's, uh, it's real easy to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I can't, can't do this. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I look at it, things that like, like when I did the ultras, one mile at a time, I was just like, let me get to that next mile and, and forward motion, because you'll eventually get there as long as you're moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and there's, yeah. there's time cutoffs as well. And we were, we were fine with that. But it was, you know, for the most part, it's just moving forward. And I think for folks out there that want to challenge themselves to something, when you hear 31 miles, 50K or 50 miles or 100 miles, it seems, it seems very daunting. And, uh, and it definitely seemed that way for me in the past. But what's interesting about ultra running versus like a marathon is that ultra running can be slow. You can be present. Um, and it's really just you're competing with yourself in many ways versus a marathon I think is competitive and a whole different level. It's still an incredible feat. But it definitely is more fast-paced than an ultra run. Would you agree, Eric? I would agree. Yeah, with a marathon, um, it, it's a shorter, shorter distance. It's shorter. I mean, it, it's like you said, it it is daunting, and it does take a lot. Um, but but you, I mean, you can really run and push for a marathon uh, for speed. And in fact, most most marathon runners you now they they're if they continue to run marathons, they will think, well, can I improve my time? Can I improve my time? Um, in ultra marathon running, every course is, has its own challenges, is different. Uh, most of the ultra marathons are run on trails. And so uh, you can run the same trail and every year, you know, the, the conditions will be different. Um, the Hawk 100, the, my first attempt, I was doing well until the middle of the night it rained I got through that, but the next, by you know, three hours later, the trails were just like grease. And so, uh, so I wasn't able to move fast enough to make the cutoff. Uh, mm. This last year, we had unseasonably hot temperatures. And so, uh, you know, it's just, that's just the, the nature of, and that's, that's part of the appeal as well. Uh, the finish is never guaranteed. Uh, for a marathon, it's not guaranteed, but it's, you, if you train and do everything right, you're likely to finish. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Yeah, it seems like for marathon runners, you're right. It's like, can I improve on my pace? For ultra runners, it feels like, can I do more miles? You know, can yeah. I take that next step up? Which is pretty, which is pretty fascinating. Um, so, 
Talk to me more about the Hawk 100, your 100 mile race that you're training for. I have, this will be my, this year will be my third attempt. Um, the, the, my friend, the, the, the Hawk 50 was the, was the, the course where I did my 50 miles. And so they, they offer uh, a marathon, they offer a 50 mile, they offer a hundred mile. So I did the 50 mile, uh, which was two 25 mile loops on the trail. And uh, the hundred the then is four loops. Um, so I've, I've had a DNF twice uh, for the hundred. Um, and, you know, is it, I, I accept that. I accept the, you know, the fact that I didn't finish. And it's like, I'm going back again. I, I'm going to, um, next year will be a different year and I'll take what I get. And I'm going to train, prepare a little bit differently for it. I'm going to try to condition myself to the heat uh, a little bit better this year than I did last year. Um, I'm yeah, working on working on my uh, my form, uh, my running form, so I can uh, so I can get a little bit more a little bit more margin. But uh, but yeah, it's it's again, it's never guaranteed. I mean, we had huge drop drop rate last year, and uh, so so yeah, that's that's I still still have that in my uh, in my goal is like yeah, I've not I've failed twice. I'm gonna go back until I can until I can say I did it or. Uh, becomes comes really evident that that's not that's not one I'll ever be able to do. Uh, I have I have faith that you'll you're gonna knock it out of the park this year. But what what are some of the things you're changing with your form? I am uh, I am a certified chi running instructor now, uh, and so I have uh, been practicing chi running since. Since I started uh, shortly after I started trail running, a friend of mine. You got to you got to explain what that is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend who told me about it said this is he called it chai running, and we get that gets it gets chi is uh, is the the uh, Chinese Chinese word for uh, life force. It's uh, the the force that runs through all all things and. Uh, the uh, acupuncture is based on their the Chinese interpretation of how qi moves through the body, uh, and Tai Chi is a uh, martial art. The, and, and so qi running is based on the principles of Tai Chi, uh, which is uh, moving moving from your core and uh, and having a balance, uh, having a posture and, and being balanced. So uh, helps with uh, reduced injuries and uh, helps for helps to uh, give you efficiency in, in running. So. Uh, Keeping my form, learning how to keep my form and hold my form uh, for a longer period of time will will help me go faster. So, uh, tighten that up a little bit. Like, what what do you actually do? So, yeah. so the the basics of of, of chi running is uh, is having a having an erect posture. So, so your uh, we call it a column. There's a, a line between your you know, your ear, your shoulder, your hips, and your and your ankles, and that that's that stays in a, you know, in a, in a straight line. And so you would lean forward from your ankles or we say you fall, it's a forward fall, uh, and pick up your feet and let your, uh, let your pelvis, uh, pelvis rotate in a relaxed manner. Uh, so it, it keeps your, uh, keeps your stride. Your, your feet will land under the center mass of your body instead of uh, heel striking out in front. Uh, there's, there's, all, all of these things kind of work together to, uh, to actually let gravity pull you forward. Um, and so, so as you think of it as a, as an upright, you know, standing upright, keeping, you know, like almost standing at attention. And then if you, uh, 
from, you know, move your, move your, uh, body, body forward and leave your feet on the ground. You, uh, you get, you know, there's that, that pull of gravity pulling you forward and you pick up your feet and go. So are you trying to like recreate the feeling of running downhill a little bit? Yes. Yes. It will. It, it, when you, when it's done correctly, you get that, that same kind of feel, uh, on level ground. And how is that? helped you is that um make running long distances easier in terms of on your your body it does it help your overall endurance um walk me through that it helps overall endurance uh for me the biggest thing is is i have not had any any injuries related to running uh what i take that back i have to qualify that i did get a small small bit of plantar fasciitis but that came from the fact that I was I was letting my form lapse, and so I was was not running. You know, <laughs> that's that's why the injury came. Um, as far as you know, sh- kind of shin splints, knee problems, hip problems, um, those things I just have not had any of that to deal with because because of chi running. Um, as far as as far as speed, um, yeah. yeah there are the, it can be done competitively as well. So, uh, I, but I do it for the fact that that I can, I can run, and run and walk in a way that I can keep going for. You know, my hundred mile run, I was at it for thirty hours. So I was able to, to keep. I was able to keep moving and and uh, and finish. That's amazing, um, and I'm sure people can Google chi running it, it is that what you'd recommend or is there a resource you can, you can google chi running there there are instructors worldwide um the danny dreyer was the guy who invented it back in the late 70s or 80s there's also a book uh chi running uh that's how i first learned was from the from reading the book uh, the, the technique is described you know very well in that so it's something that uh that can be done that way uh, yeah, if you Chi Living is, I think the name is the website, so you can find an instructor uh, that would be close to you, and 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 resources there too. Uh, so I think some of the there's some online training through through the Chi Living site as well. So that's something I really want to look into. I just I always feel like I'm running my form. I just don't know what I'm doing. Really, I just I just run. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I noticed, and it's funny because when you see videos of yourself. That's when you realize like something doesn't something isn't right. Mm-hmm. I was doing this video for a promo, and I noticed my arms or my hands were like so so close to my hips, and I'm like, "What am I doing?" Mm-hmm. I think they're supposed to be close to your heart when you're, you know, essentially uh, running most most uh, uh, hills or trails or you know whatever that may be. I mean. I, I guess I, I only say that to say that it's not always that they should be by your heart, but um, it was obvious that I have no idea what I'm doing. So <laughs> I should look into something like that. And, and, and as far as as far as running efficiency, what uh, what we say in chi running is that have as many body parts moving in the direction that you're going as possible. Uh, and so so any any motion that is that is not in your direction of travel is actually sapping energy. Um, so a lot of people, you know, there's, there's, there's a, you know, they'll sway, they'll sway side to side, hips will sway side to side, or they'll, they'll be bouncing up and down. I mean, any motion that's not going forward, uh, that energy is, is 
because kind of bleeding off for for both your speed and your and your endurance. Got it. No, that makes total sense. So I I teased this in the beginning of the podcast, but you know one of the things that I find remarkable is is barefoot running. I know there's been some very popular books on this, um, but I don't know much about it, and it doesn't seem like a um, a feasible thing. Like when you think about <laughs> yeah. like running barefoot in trails, you're like, oh, okay, well, I know the trails that I run on. And like, how do you even, like they're rocky and and uh, they're just not in a condition where you think bare feet would be a good idea at all. And, and I mean, if you think about the the shoes that are popular now, that um, the, uh, Hoka Speedgoats as an example and how oh, yes. much cushion they, they have, it's like the exact opposite of what you're doing. <laughs> so, so one is talk to me about the, like why barefoot running? What, what is barefoot running when someone says that? I mean, the obvious answer to me, or the obvious thing I think of is like running with, without, without shoes. But is, is that, is that it? Barefoot running is is kind of a catch-all term for uh, minimalist running. Uh, most of us, I, I do know, I do know a guy in California who runs barefoot, barefoot all the time, and I, I've met, you know, and I've interviewed a guy on my podcast who uh, started out barefoot, and he's he's pretty much runs barefoot all the time, even on trails. Uh, the trails I run on, I you know, again, I can't run fully barefoot. Um, so I started out with a uh, four millimeter thick piece of rubber that was a, a DIY Hirachi sandal kit and, uh, and basically paracord tied onto your feet. Um, and so you feel, you, you still feel all the, you know, everything that's, that's there on the trail. Um, and if you land on a big rock, it, it still hurts. But, uh, but that was my start. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's called barefoot running, but usually those of us who are doing it are doing it in sandals and if we're, if we're on a trail. So what are some of the brands that, that, you know, people swear by when it comes to this? There's, um, zero shoes, X E R O. Um, of course the Vibram five fingers, um, that's, that's been a popular one for a long time. That, that, that. There are still people who who uh, who do that. Um, I run in bedrock sandals, and I have a pair of Luna sandals, um, and both of those. and so, And you can buy uh, various various kinds. Um, and what I usually do with the sandals that I've purchased, I have trimmed uh, to fit my foot. So I um, I like not to have a whole lot sticking out in front of my toes. Yeah, that, and they're about uh, my trail running sandals that allow me to really, really not have to worry about where I plant my feet are about 13 millimeters of rubber, and that's it. That's it. No support, just straps and, and a piece of vibrant rubber on the bottom. Got it. And how has that helped you? Like, what's the main advantages of this? I can't heel strike for very long, and so... Mm. Uh, running in running minimalist running running what we call barefoot, um, you really have to you, you have to bring your feet down pretty much under your body, um, because if if you run if if you're running with your heel out in front very far, um, your body will tell you <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Fascinating. So did you find it's it's a training aid for people to avoid injury? Yes. Uh, and you you talked about Hoka. Um, 
Hoka was what Hoka Speed Goats was what convinced me to to switch to barefoot. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Um, they were. I I bought them. They were just a little bit snug to begin with, and then on my hundred mile run, at about mile fifty eight, the uh, I didn't get the didn't get the uh, laces loosened in time, and they irritated the uh, the tendon in the top of my foot. And so mm-hmm. at about 58 miles, it felt like somebody had stuck a knife in my foot. And every time I tried to run, that pain would just it just stop me. So I ended up, I, I did most of it at a, what we call a power hike. I was, I was walking, but I was, I was doing 15-minute miles, but I was, I was still walking. What, what about things like I had a bad ankle injury in my last, uh, my last race? I can't imagine that running in zero shoes or barefoot would help that, but does it? I have not rolled an ankle. Uh, I came close. I have not rolled an ankle since I started going barefoot. Um, now I did, uh, the last, I, I did the, uh, Javelina Jackass, which is a 20 mile, uh, loop at, uh, um, October 31st in Phoenix. Uh, it's part of the Javelina hundred. And I did something there to, uh, I stepped wrong and I've got this little bit of pain in my ankle. It's not stopped me from running, but it's, it's sore. Uh, so it doesn't completely prevent that. I mean, if you step wrong on a rock, I mean, it's, you can still injure an ankle, but yeah, part of, part of my transition was strengthening my feet. And so I took, I had to cut back on my miles and work on just going out and running only three miles, even though my body told me I could do more, my feet, my feet, if I went farther than that, my feet did not, were not happy. What have you learned then over the last several years of being in this sport about yourself? Were you able to conquer your limiting beliefs? And did did this sport then make you want to get in into more of your mind? And then in turn, you became a mindset coach from it? I was, I was, uh, from my limiting beliefs, uh, I had hired a, hired a life coach, uh, after I'd, after I'd kind of done the work on my own, I'd hired a life coach and, uh, in talking with her, uh, she, she made the comment to me, she says, why aren't you, why aren't you being a life coach? She says, the, what you've experienced, what you've gone through, uh, you could help other people. And so I, I was doing that in conjunction with my running when I first started. Um, uh, and then, then it is, as I was running, uh, my pace, one of the things we have in ultra marathons is pacers. After I'd done 50 miles, my pacer was running with me. He made a comment to me. He said, you've got this, you've got the mental side of this running figured out. And I didn't realize that I'd taken, taken that mental work that I did to kind of get over those limiting beliefs into my, into my ultra marathon running. Um, and so, so that, that was kind of how I, I was already kind of in that space of working toward being a life coach. And I said, you know, that running just became a good extension of being able to, to say, you know, here's, here's what you face at 60 miles of an ultra marathon. Here's the, here's kind of the dark places that you go to and the things that your mind is telling you. And here's, you know, the, the mental tools to get through that is the same kind of mental tools you need to get, you know, to transform your life for, for any other goal. When people are hearing this and they hear life coach, and I know that's a word that gets thrown around or, or, uh, 
uh, all kinds of various coaches out there online. Like, how do you even go about finding a coach for helping with this stuff? People that have limiting beliefs. What was your process? My process was, was uh, somebody that my wife, my wife, my wife was uh, online and and knew this this uh, life coach, and uh, it was it was it was a good fit for me, and uh, so it. it I had I had a rapport with her. She was able to kind of dig into some some areas that I wasn't able to see on my own. Um, I, d- I did a lot to over you know on my own getting getting to where I was, uh, but but she really kind of helped me refine and look at look at some things and gave me some tools to. And what what I say that that I that I help people manage thoughts and emotions, and for running an ultra marathon, the mental side of running distance. That's what it's about is, is learning how to, you don't control your emotions. You don't control your thoughts, but you, you manage them. And so when those thoughts and emotions come up, it's how you respond that makes the difference. And uh, so that's, that's what I have found as far as, as life. I mean, the, and you ask about if I've if overcome my limiting, limiting beliefs, there's, there's always things to work on. There's always, there's always little things that I, that I can I keep have to keep aware of my own self talk and the things that that I'm that I'm not doing um, as as efficiently or as well as I should be or as I want to be. Yeah, that makes sense. What are some other resources that you'd recommend? Books, podcasts, anything like that for people to dive a little deeper in into this stuff. For me, the book that helped the most that, that got me kind of out of that uh, cycle of, you know, and I, and I read lots of, lots of self-help books trying to overcome my limiting beliefs. The one that helped me the most was called How to Break the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm. Um, and for me, it what it, it describes, I, the way I interpreted it, it describes the interaction between what, uh, what, the, what the Bible calls the soul and the body. Uh, the Chinese would call it the chi in the body. Uh, it's that's there's a the mental side, the way that we think, um, shows up in our body, and uh, and that so that relationship between mind and body uh, was was really what was what helped me to break that habit of being of being who I was all the time and, and be somebody different. Got it. Another another book that uh, I, I kind of said uh, changed changed my life. Uh, there's a book called Breath uh, by James Nestor, and uh, again, I have it. Yeah, <laughs> it's somewhere around here. No, it's I I agree. There's uh, that was awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, and so so the uh, f- you know, for me the you know, the chi running and the things that I do in running, uh, I took that kind of that kind of mental work of being aware of what's going on in my body into my running. And so, um, so when I, when I encounter situations that are stressful, uh, you know, I, it's not only what I think it's, I, I'm also aware of, of the response in my body. Um, and, and, you know, all of the things that, that we think are there, there's a corresponding chemical reaction in our body. Um, so that in, that was the thing that really Helped me to to start making some progress toward toward the goals that I you know that I had tried to reach for a long time. Yeah, I, I like the studies 
that he did on himself, even regarding nasal breathing and mouth breathing. Oh yeah, that was that was incredible, and how important it is to breathe through your nose and not just your mouth. And if anyone is uh, on the fence of the importance of that, I'd highly recommend checking out his book and the at least the chapters on that because he he went through it himself. He went through this. Uh, how long was it? Do you remember? Like ten days? Yeah, ten days yeah. of breathing. He has he had his nose completely stopped. Yeah, completely stopped his mouth. for ten days, and then he did the opposite where he had his mouth and and you know, I didn't even know that that it's has such an impact on your teeth and and your mm-hmm. just really the the formation of people's faces is largely derived by how they breathe. Yes, I mean it's it's through evolution, obviously over. Hundred, you know, hundreds of of years that this has uh, has happened, and thousands. If, um, but it's uh, it's definitely even affects like generation of people, um, mm-hmm. and, and people that are deprived or have issues uh, breathing through their nose, like have major long term effects that are not super obvious. Yeah, and you know, like I said, that, that book is. Um I was so I was so uh, it, it impacted my uh, my practice so much that I've, I'm incorporating you know, breath work as part of my coaching, um, and so that is because the the physical the physical part of who we are has a has a huge effect on on your mental state, and so uh, you know, I've, I have. As a result of that book, I've been working to breathe slower and breathe uh, at a lower volume. Uh, so that's that's part of the breathwork practice that I have that I have been doing, and I I can tell it's it's making a difference in my life. So yeah, no, it 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 totally does. I like the um, I personally like the four I think it's four seven eight method by Andrew Andrew uh, Whale. Okay, is that Are you familiar uh, with that one? No, I'm not. There, there's a whole lot of different patterns. I know. Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. But th- this one's pretty, pretty well known. In fact, uh, James Nestor talks about it in his book. Basically, you inhale for four seconds, then you hold your breath in for six, and then you exhale for seven. Okay. And you just repeat that cycle four to five times. So I just find it easy. <laughs> like I'm big into like. <laughs> Let's do something that isn't uh, that doesn't require twenty minutes of sitting still. Because for me personally, like that, just even though I try many times and sometimes I'm successful, the this four seven eight method is so easy to do. There's no excuse not to do it. You could get through it in in a couple minutes, mm-hmm. uh, and it helps you really relax in a different way. So I'd highly recommend people try that. It's really that simple. You could Google videos on it, but you don't need to follow anything any guided meditation it's just breathe in for four oh it's breathe in through your nose too Mm -hmm. hold for four seconds and then when you breathe out you breathe out through your mouth and you you push it out so you actually make a sound as you breathe so you're just trying to force the air out of your body and and like i said do to do it four to five times do it a couple times a day and it makes a huge difference it's very impactful Yes, and the, the one of the things that uh, that I have been practicing as I go through my day, uh, he calls it. Uh, I can't remember what James Nestor calls it. Uh, the, sam- the samurai, the samurai was this was part of their training, that they would put a feather underneath their nose 
and they had to breathe without moving the feather. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I will inhale. I, I don't worry about it, but, but on my exhale, I try to exhale with that same kind of slow. And so, um, my exhale can be 20 seconds if I breathe in, breathe in deeply and, and do that several times, just inhale and just exhale through my nose, even slow that slowly. And I, I have noticed yeah. that that, that will calm my body down. I do it when I'm driving <laughs> because traffic is <laughs> something that I can really get wound up about uh, some of the way people drive out there. So. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Hey, Eric, how can people find out more about you? I know you have uh, an amazing podcast you started uh, fairly recently, uh, how, but how can people find out more otherwise? Uh, two things. I, my, my website's probably the best way is just my name, ericdieter.com. Um, the podcast is uh, the show notes, ultramindsetpodcast.run. Um, but uh, it's the Ultramarathon Mindset is the name of the podcast. It's everywhere podcasts are, can be found. And so uh, interview people who are out doing epic things. And that's uh, uh, looking, I look for good stories for people who've, uh, who are out there. Um, and, and usually we'll talk about the mindset involved. Yeah. Well, you certainly have a good story and incredible mindset. And I think a lot of people can relate to um, having limiting beliefs and the, the difference uh, that that you uh, you made for yourself is you took action. You know, that yes. you made a decision, you took action and you're doing it. So congratulations on everything, my friend. And uh, I would highly recommend people check out your podcast and it was great to spend this time with you today. Yeah, thank you a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. Huge thanks, Eric, for being part of the Not Almost There podcast. I told you he was going to share an incredible mindset tip, and it just so happens to be one I firmly believe in, and that is chunking your goals. It doesn't matter what your goals are. You have to chunk them down. If you're going for your master's degree and you have a lot of studying to do, or you're on a road trip, or you are training for an ultra race, it doesn't matter. Just look at it in small chunks, one mile at a time, one chapter at a time. It doesn't matter. Just focus on that one step at a time, making forward progress. You're going to build momentum and you're going to head in the right direction. And that is what is so important. And I challenge you to do that today. Don't wait until next year. Get a jump on 2022. Everyone's going to say, I'm going to start everything January 1. And guess what happens? People do. And within eight days, you start to fade out. If you get a jump on it today, you're going to feel great. And you're going to already have built that momentum. And even if it's not today, maybe it's the day after Christmas. So whatever whatever it is, just focus on making that first step important. And then take small steps after that. Remember, mood follows action. And you just need to get started. So that all said, hopefully I'll see you at Refuel. If not, I'm sure it'll be recorded. Remember, until the next time, you, me, we are not almost there.